Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 58? A cry for judgment. David wrote the psalm, but there is no particular occasion that is acquainted with the psalm. It is just a cry to God from one of his own crying out for evil to come to an end and for the wicked to be judged, for the present order to be done away with. David was no perfect person himself. As a matter of fact, when you read the Old Testament, it's interesting that the saints, the patriarchs, the saints of God in the Old Testament were, were keenly aware of the theological persuasion of scriptures. The Bible is careful, even the best of people in the Bible except for Christ, even the best of the people are seen as imperfect. And the Bible readily exposes their flaws, their sin. Looking back then after the original sin, it's easy to see that all the way through the Old Testament, the people of God were aware of our fallen nature. It's a, it's a terrible thing and we don't have to be convinced. The Bible is there to tell us that God has an eternal remedy for sin. Sin brings death. Unconfessed sin brings eternal death. It brings the second death. It brings that dying that just happens forever. Dying and dying and dying. It's horrible. God is just. Yet in his mercy and his love toward his own, he arranges for justification. And our sins are judged but on Christ, on the cross, we are covered in his righteousness and he becomes our substitute on the cross, our vicarious offering, if you will. So we don't deny those of us who are in Christ, those who are of God, we don't deny the depravity of man and the sinful condition of the world. But we have been enlightened to the remedy of it. And we cast ourselves by faith upon the mercy of God and he takes care of us. The sad thing is that according to the scriptures, apparently most of mankind will die unsaved. 
Our Lord said that the gate is narrow and there are few who go through the gate, but the path to destruction is wide and many there are who go that direction. But we are not without instruction. We have the scriptures to tell us about ourselves and about our loving creator and about the whole thing from the first from the first of creation to the consummation of all things, and then just a brief glimpse at the end of it of a new heaven and a new earth. So along the way, here are God's people, and there just comes a time when you say, God, we're evil. The world is evil. There is an evil spiritual world filled with demons, fallen angels. There is an evil physical world filled with the ways of men controlled by the God of this age and we cry out for judgment. You study history and and history tells us about the plight of the human race. People have a hard time. I recently watched a documentary. I don't know, the guy, the guy surely wasn't there because it was a documentary about the medieval times. But I guess he drew upon a lot of historical data and, and uh, historical writings. And he talked about how hard life was for the world in the Middle Ages. It was, of course, the reason it gained my attention is because it was about the the title of the YouTube thing that I was watching was, what did they eat in the Middle Ages? That just sounded interesting to me. (laughs) To to summarize, they ate slop. That's what they ate. It just, uh, everything that they could find in some water and then throw it in a bowl when the sun went down. But he did a good job covering the I thought, covering the general plight of humanity in the, in the Middle Ages, Dark Ages. World wars, wars without end. A war today that keeps people on edge and wondering how far this is going to go. And it all goes back to the depravity of man, the, the fallenness of man. Why is there war today? Because of human pride and the lust for power. And I mean, you could go on, but it's a dark heart where in the times of the Gentiles, especially the leaders that arise just seem to always have dark hearts. That truth of the of the fallen nature of the human race is not lost on David. If you are like me, there are some times where you just stop and fall on your face before God and say, it's enough. Would you just bring us now to the end of things and judge the wicked Deliver the saved. And let's get on with the next thing. 
This is sort of where David is here in his cry for judgment. There's no denial from the first of the saints of God after the fall of man all the way through to the end of it, to the second coming and the establishment of a new heaven and new earth. There's no denying in any generation, in any age, there is no denying how depraved we are, how fallen we are, how sinful we are. And so there continues to be murder and war and violence and and rape and greed and envy and theft. I mean, just where do you stop? And the Bible, more than any other work of man, is quick to point out how low we are in his creation because of sin. Now, judgment is coming. People scoff and laugh at that today. I was thinking of what I preached last Sunday. I had a a former staff member call me on the phone. He said, I'm, I'm on the road with my wife somewhere, and we decided that we were going to listen to your sermon of last week. I thought, well, why don't you listen to all of them? I don't know. But uh, anyway, he was asking me questions really that I can't answer. You know, you, you know what the Bible knows and then you can't go beyond that. It's, you can see the convergence of things that are apparent and you know absolute truth and you know this will happen. But, you know, there, you can only go so far. And so we were having this, uh, this discussion about things. And one question that I'm always asked, especially when it comes to Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog in the land of Magog, and then the confederation of nations that will finally encircle and invade Israel, and God intervenes, and there's a terrible defeat of the invading nations, and then... And then Ezekiel quotes heaven by saying, now they're going to, now they're going to end the world. Now they're going to say, isn't this what the prophets were talking about? And they'll go back to the Bible. And God says to Israel, I don't do this because of your sake, because Israel at that point still is unsaved, generally speaking. And it isn't until deep into the tribulation that they begin to turn to Christ as a nation. But just then... God would say, I'm not intervening and saving you for your name's sake. I'm doing this for my holy name's sake. And it, it caused me to think and study. And I, 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 I thought, you know, this is the perfect way for the church to make its final case to the world before we are raptured. So I sort of tweaked my thoughts a little bit when I was talking to my father. You know, who better than the spirit-filled church 
to carry this final message of the church age. This is what the prophets were saying. Now listen to what the apostles are saying as well. So I've sort of fudged a little bit on that thing. And I may fudge again before it's all over with. But his phone call called me just to get right back into the scriptures when he asked me certain questions I really hadn't thought about. And I thought, you know, I don't know at that point in time who could cry out to the world about the truth of the scripture and the prophets. I don't, I'm not sure it would be the 144,000, could be. I don't know, the two witnesses, maybe. But the point is this, judgment is coming. There's a great message and the message has been preached. I know in the time of Seth, back in the, after Cain killed Abel and Seth was born and in the Hebrew text at the end of Genesis 4, it says, then men begin to call themselves by the name of Yahweh. So apparently there was then this great identification of the Sethites who were pastoral agricultural people as opposed to the Canaanites, none of whom survived the flood, only Sethites. Noah and his family were Sethites. There wasn't a Canaanite on board. So ever since then, they began to call themselves by the name of Yahweh. And so they, they expressed their faith in a, in a special way, apparently. This goes on through the scripture, through the Old Testament. And there's this separation, but there's always this case of, of people. There's always this group, the elect of God, who just have the conviction of the, of the sinful condition of man. And they don't deny their own sin in proclaiming the word. This is where David fits in here. Troubled by the world and its sin. And it seems, it seems to be something that we cannot cure. We'll see that in this psalm. There is nothing that I can do. All of the saints of God in this year and all the preachers and all the whatevers. There is nothing, even all of the elect angels of heaven, there is nothing together that we could do to move someone from darkness to light. It has to be a divine thing. Christ himself said, you know, you have to be born anew from above. Nothing. We do this, however, because we're compelled and commissioned to do so and that is namely proclaim what the Bible says. Teach it, preach it. That our, our condition that finally ends in our death, our physical death, is something that only God himself can fix. So let's think about all that and let's look at Psalm 58 here. First, David brings an indictment upon the wicked. For the conductor, 
That means um, it means that it's set to do not destroy. So this, in other words, you better hang on to this one. A michtham, a, a, a doleful psalm. Is it true, silent ones? And this is an interesting. Uh, this is an interesting Hebrew phrase. Some translators would put silent ones and so forth up where verse one is. But the original, really, it's easy to see where one sentence stops and the next one begins. What we call a colon, I guess, is the end of every sentence. Now, is it true, silent ones, that you were silent about the righteousness that you should have spoken? Now, really, the why, it's probably, it was probably wrong for me to capitalize that it should, because it's inclusive here, silent ones. It is speaking of a spiritual world. And of course, the Lord is there, but also it includes in this, it includes all of those who are in the spirit world, including demons and the word elim, elim, which is translated silent ones, elim. It speaks of generally in the scriptures. Now, Elohim is God. Elim, in the, in the scriptures, generally, it's a reference to idols. And idols are demon gods, generally. So, David is inspired of God to address not just the physical world of human beings, but the spiritual world where abide demons, evil spirits. Is it true, silent ones, that you were silent about the righteousness of which you should have spoken? Well, of course, they're not going to preach the gospel. It is true. Idols, graven images, they can't say anything. They don't have any advice for you. And the fact that a society or a culture would carve out a, a, an image of a God, a graven image, the fact they would do that tells you that they are dark in their hearts. And then when you study how they worship, what their so-called worship is like, a worship of those silent ones, it's um, horrific, it's horrible. So they're not going to talk about God. They should have, but they didn't. And he goes on. The equities. Now these are, these are righteous judgments. These are equitable judgments. Does it ever cross your mind today that there are judges in seats of authority in courts, even in our land, who do not judge equitably. Well, that's an evil that makes its way from the fallen ones into the minds 
of those who are in those seats of authority. And here he says, the equities, it speaks of ju equitable justice. You should have judged, with which you should have judged the sons of men. So now he moves from the spiritual world into the physical world. You could read Hosea, you could read, you could read all kinds of Old Testament books and you will see that one thing that God takes note of and upon which his wrath will eventually fall is those who are judges and they are crooked. They do not judge equitably. They, they judge according to the way that they want to. And they favor some and disfavor others, not on the basis of righteousness, but on the basis of who they are, what they want to say, and so forth. So this is something also that David is really crying out to God about, the injustice that is in the world. And how it seems that there are those who make their way into positions of authority, and the implication is that the silent ones, the demonic powers assert some sort of oppression or whatever and they work on those positions so that their people are in those positions so that the sons of men are not judged according to righteousness. If that makes any sense. Is there ever a judge's decision that vexes your righteous soul? Me too. Happens to me several times a day. For example, in our, let's just take from, from a, a point of view of being an American, when the Constitution is so clear, right? And yet, it's laid aside. What are you going to do about it? Pray. I'll tell you where David is headed here. There's only one way to solve this, and that's God's way. We're only in the hands of God, and that's it. All right, so it starts, it's a spiritual problem, you see. It's, it's not really a political problem. I mean, I know how I'm going to vote. And even sometimes when it comes out the way that I voted, it don't work out the way that I think it should, you know? So it's, it's I pray. The ultimate solution, of course, is from heaven. So even in your heart, you plot injustice in the earth. You weigh down the violence of your hands. What he is saying is there is a world system, a fallen kingdom of darkness into which we are all born naturally. And we cannot deliver ourselves from that kingdom of darkness. God must deliver us from that kingdom of darkness and it's a divine act. Only God can do this and David recognizes it. Every man's heart is evil. I like what some of these people say on Facebook that, you know, one guy says, you always hear, just follow your heart. You better not follow your heart. It is desperately evil above all things. 
You'd better follow the word of God and it most of the time opposes your heart. So, David acknowledges even in your heart you plot injustice. You see, fallen people, fallen man, reprobate people, they can't help it. They have no spiritual life. And they follow, they're enslaved to sin, says Paul. And this slavery to sin leads them down an ever-spiraling downward path of darkness. So, yes, they plot injustice. So, you know, I'll tell you how I handle these, these judgments from judges that just really turn my face purple. But I have to take a deep breath and I have to say, you know what? He can't help himself. He can't help it. This is his heart to plot injustice. Absolute righteousness is found in the scriptures. Our Supreme Court building has carved in it Moses carrying the law, and there are Ten Commandments inscribed in it. That's kind of a joke, isn't it? These days. But therein is the righteousness. That's the height of righteousness. But from the man's heart, he plots injustice. You weigh down the violence of your hands. People in authority today. Those who are waging war, apparently, and I don't know what to believe anymore, but if some of the things that I read are true, apparently there's no regard for life, whether, whether children or women or whatever. It's just the, it is just the will of man. And the only way outside of God that a man can exercise his will to fit himself into a position of supremacy over people is through violence. It's the only way. Through violence. And David acknowledges that here. You weigh down the violence of your hands. And so he brings the evidence. The wicked become estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from the birth. You know what that means? It means exactly what David said in Psalm 51. In sin, my mother conceived me. When I was fetal tissue in the womb of my mother, I was depraved because I'm part of the human race. Estranged even from the womb. They have venom like the venom of a serpent. And one of the things that really troubled David and dogged him in his life and rule was, were the lies that people told on him, misinformation about him all the time. They have, they're poison like a serpent, venomous, like a deaf cobra that closes its ear. Did you know a snake can't hear? This is yes and this is no. 
The Bible teaches you stuff. They have a sensitivity to vibrations coming up through their slithering long body and also how it comes into their jaws. But there's no eardrum. There are no eardrums in a snake. He can't, I don't know, he probably got the brain of a size of a pea anyway, I don't know. But there's no way he can transform all of this into a sound. The vibrations will cause him to react in a certain way. So here's this guy over on the other side of the world and he's got a cobra in a basket with a cloth over it. He pulls out a flute. And the cobra doesn't come up because he's enjoying the music. You know, oh man, it's great. He's not doing that. He's doing it because the vibrations are causing him to move in a certain way. So the vibrations sort of hypnotize him. He don't know it's music. He's just, oh man, it feels good. Yeah. And he comes up like what he does. All right, so here, people who are in the fallen race of Adam are deaf like a cobra. Which will not hear the voice of charmers, the most cunning caster of spells. It's not that, it's the, it's the music, it's the vibration. That's the way it is with, with depraved man. He moves according to natural vibrations, but until he is delivered from his lostness, he cannot hear the word of God. Doesn't mean anything to him. You can, you can teach it and preach it and quote it. But it's just a vibration. Unless and until he is born anew from above. So here it's very easy to bring evidence against fallen man. So then what is required is divine judgment. What am I going to do about it? All of the despots in the world, the evil rulers and leaders, the murderers, the, the, the judges that have no sense of equity or righteousness. What am I going to do about it? This is the story of the Bible. God's going to do it. You come to God, vengeance is his. He'll take care of it according to his time and his plan. You just believe that and you'll be all right. It's not that we can just roll up our sleeves and, and run out of the house and, and start with this judge here and that mayor there and this governor over there and all that and then the, it's not going to happen. It's a God thing. He says, Elohim, Elohim, smash their teeth in their mouth. Break the molars of lions, Yahweh. Let them be rejected. Let them walk as through water. He will aim his arrows as though they are cut down. This is the work of God. Like a snail which continuously melts. One of the most delightful things I used to do as a little boy 
was to get the table salt. It never dawned on me how painful that must be to that snail. It was just entertaining to watch him turn into a little glob of snot. He just would melt. He was gone. So he talks about, he says, look, I bet David did that when he was a kid too. Like a snail which continuously melts. A mole in a stillbirth which did not see the sun. You ever exposed a mole to the sun? They don't like it. They'll do everything they can to get back into the ground. And of course, a stillborn child never saw the sun. No light. So take care of them, remove them, destroy them. He appeals to Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. This is the only way this injustice, and it finally is gathered up in the last time of judgment. There are judgments in the Bible, you know. There, there's the judgment seat of Christ, which are the believers, and rewards are given. And then there's the judgment of nations at the end of the tribulation. And then there is this judgment later on at the, at the bit much later on the great white throne judgment. And in every judgment that is taught in the Bible, God himself divides the righteous from the wicked and the wicked are cast into their place of punishment and the righteous are welcomed home. The only appeal we have then is to the Lord, to our great God. And that's what he says here. There's divine judgment and then there's divine resolution. Before your tender briars develop into hardened thorns with vigor, with wrath, he will drive them away as a storm wind. Judgment will be swift once it begins to fall. And man will say, or I'm sorry, the righteous man will rejoice because he saw revenge. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Now David speaks as a warrior here. And he gives us a little glimpse of the returning Christ who has his flowing white robe and white horse. But the rebels of Armageddon have been slain in mass by the word that's spoken from Christ. The Old Testament prophet teaches us how they're, they're, at his brilliant appearance, their flesh melts, the vitreous fluid melts out of their eyes, and their blood just spills out because there's no flesh to hold it. And it creates a river. And then in his return, Christ is seen as the victorious king splashing through the blood of his fallen enemy. Thus his vestures dipped in blood. When the battle was over, David's soldiers, I mean, battlefields are ugly and bloody. You go back to the day of David. And when the enemy has surrendered or the last one has been slain, his soldiers would rejoice and they would run around in joy and not even thinking about it, but their feet were splashing in the blood of the fallen enemy. Revenge, victory, 
And he will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. What he's talking about is the victorious saint who has overcome the world and all of the wicked therein. And man will say, truly, the righteous man has a reward. Truly, there is a God, there is an Elohim who judges on earth. There's not always going to be this apparent inequity. There's not always going to be this kingdom of darkness. There's not always going to be this apparent advantage to Satan all the time in all of the ways of the world, the systems of the world. We cannot even fathom the magnitude at the last of the judgment of God upon the wicked. Let's pray, we'll be through. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, for your direction that you have called us into your salvation. Oh God, we're humbled and thankful. Thank you now that we have the opportunity to teach it, preach it, study it, learn more from it. Bless us as we go, that as we go and as we study, we will draw ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.